0: Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner and a personal finance author. This is a show to help you understand your money better, and we've got some great topics today. We're going to talk about changes or not about FDIC limits. We're going to talk about being careful with celebrity endorsements why emergency funds matter more than ever, and then in the Ask Peggy segment, I answer the question of, why do I owe taxes on investments that lost money in 2022? So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update. This is for the week that ended March 24th. 2023. And I can't believe that the next time I tape this, we're going to be talking about first quarter results. The first quarter of 2023 has gone amazingly quickly. It was a good week for the market. The Dow was up 1.18% and the S&P 500 was up 1.39%. The NASDAQ was up 1.66%. And with a more stable market, gold was down a little bit, not terribly surprisingly, 0.64%. Oil, West Texas intermediate crude, front month price, went up 4.33%. And the price at the time I got this data was $69.20 a barrel. The dollar index went down a little more than half a percent. And the 10-year treasury yield also went down, right about 5.5%. And that current treasury yield is at 3.376%. Bitcoin went up 3.72%. And it is currently at $27,787. So, all of the crisis with the banking situation does appear to be a lot more stable than where we were talking about the last couple of weeks. One interesting thing that happened after I had taped last week's show, but towards the beginning of the week, was Janet Yellen saying that there really was no interest in raising FDIC limits. Remember, she's the treasury secretary and she would be involved in whether or not FDIC limits went up over their current amount of $250,000 per person per account type at any one financial institution. And there had been a lot of rumor that they were going to raise the fdic limits but it looks like that's not as popular of a position in some circles as a lot of people including me thought that it would be so i'm not thrilled with this honestly because what they did with silicon valley bank is they just bailed everybody out who was an individual investor and small business startups, to whatever money they had in the bank. I would really rather see them raise the amount of FDIC insurance coverage to numbers that smarter people than me can decide on. You might even have a separate kind of limit for business enterprises versus private enterprises. You know, something like 500,000 for individuals, maybe a million for small businesses. I don't know what you want to do. I do think the current idea of $250,000 can get very limiting very quickly, especially if you're a small business, a successful small business, and especially if you're on a coast where just all of the money comes in larger amounts than it does in the middle of the country like where i live in oklahoma so we're gonna have to watch this for right now you would assume that your fdic limit coverage is exactly what it's been and i think it's really important to make sure that you're not over that limit at any financial institution you're using Is it bulky and cumbersome to have more than one bank involved? Yeah, sure it is. But you need to do it anyway, because no one really expected what happened two weeks ago to happen. It wasn't tremendously bad acting. In other words, nobody was breaking the law or anything. It was just some really bad business decisions that were made. And it raised a risk that, honestly, I don't think if you were outside of the bank, you had any way to see it coming. It's not like it's two sets of books. It was just a mistake I certainly didn't expect them to make. I didn't see it coming. And because of that, I think you need to be careful with whatever financial institution you're using You know, if you're like me and you walk into your bank and you know your banker and everybody calls you by name, I am really still that old-fashioned. I love to walk into the bank. But you can develop kind of this trust that it may be that everyone, even in the branch that you're operating in, is fabulous, but there may be somebody making investment decisions somewhere else who just flat out makes a mistake And if you've gone over your FDIC limits thinking, ah, it'll be fine, this is your wake-up call. Not always. Now, they did bail everybody out, which I know why they did it, and it makes a lot of sense in one regard to do it. However, I kind of wish they hadn't, quite frankly, because now there's no real penalty other than everybody who was running Silicon Valley Bank lost their jobs There were some other banks that went down. Part of FDIC bailouts involve um, a change in bank management. So, I mean, there's that. I would like for there to have been more consequences on the side of the bank and less consequences on the side of the individual investor. But I can't control that. All I can do is talk to you as an individual or business owner investor and tell you, hey, They don't owe that bailout that they gave to Silicon Valley Bank to anybody else. I know why they did it, but they don't owe it. And there's no guarantee. And quite frankly, if banks started to topple, they wouldn't be able to keep doing it. This is an unsustainable pattern that they've gotten themselves into. So I don't want you to get caught in a bad situation if there were a run on banks and not be okay. Do I think that's going to happen based around what just happened? I really don't, but we never know what the next shoot to drop is. We're going to talk about that in the emergency fund section, and I just want you to stay safe. Money, 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 money. Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today's section is not only interesting on the surface, but it's also a cautionary tale. Because what we're talking about today happens all the time in lots of different situations. And I don't want you to get caught. So recently, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, announced charges against actress Lindsay Lohan and other celebrities, both for illegally promoting investments in cryptocurrency, along with selling unregistered crypto securities or actually selling in a way that they weren't registered. So let's break this down a little bit. Lindsay Lohan and others were charged with promoting cryptocurrency in advertising settings without admitting that they were being paid for those endorsements. And so it looked like this set of Hollywood elite just wanted to recommend something that they thought would be great for people when in fact they were being paid to say what they were saying. So not only do we not know how that they were being paid, we also don't know how much they were being paid. So it's very, very important to realize something. Nobody does anything for free. Okay? Anytime you see a celebrity endorsement. You have to assume that they are being compensated unless it is staggeringly clear that they are doing it for free. So maybe it's some kind of a fundraiser, something near and dear to this celebrity's heart, and so they volunteered some of their time. That happens once in a while, but usually the setting itself will suggest that maybe this is a pro bono event that they're not getting paid for. Even then, I want you to assume that they're being compensated. And on advertising, you always have to assume that they're being compensated. This was about cryptocurrency, but this situation isn't limited to cryptocurrency. I see it a lot with things like reverse mortgages and celebrities that would appeal to an older audience. I see it a lot on late, late night television. And sometimes the ads are somewhat misleading. And a lot of times the celebrity will say something like, I wouldn't say this if I didn't believe it. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. And you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to assume that they do believe what they're saying. However, that does not stop them from being compensated. And if they're neutral about something and the people who want to pay them to make the ad convince them it's the greatest thing ever, then they may very well say, I think this is a good idea, but you don't know why they think it's a good idea sometimes getting a check makes something a good idea but you have to know that they're being compensated it would also be very good to know how much they're being compensated although i think as a rule of thumb you should assume plenty so anytime you see somebody that you recognize telling you to do something i want you to assume they're being paid to say it and Hopefully that will slow people down a little bit. The Securities and Exchange Commission said, you just can't do this. Now, why the SEC said it was this was an investment. Bitcoin, cryptocurrency is an investment and the rules are even more strict there. You absolutely cannot promote an investment without saying that you're being compensated. So it was more problematic here, but I want you to assume that anybody you see who's recommending something is being paid. Now, there's a second less glamorous, if you will, part of this, because the people involved were not as much of a household name as Lindsay Lohan. And these were entrepreneurs. um, Justin Sun and other people did not register with the SEC Before his firm started selling crypto asset securities, um, Tronix, and BitTorrent. And there may be even other things because I was reading an article and it was a summary. So basically, he was physically selling the stuff without registering his firm. Remember, I talk a lot about being an investment advisor or being a stockbroker. Okay, both of those are kinds of registration. And even though I like the idea of the mandatory fiduciary standard of the investment advisor, a stockbroker is registered to do business. There's absolutely nothing illegal about working with a stockbroker. And when you have a firm, you have to register one way or the other, or you have to create an affiliation with a bigger brokerage firm or a bigger investment advisory firm, and then you become an extension of them so you are representative of that registered firm, you still have to register as an individual that you're representing this other company. So even if in fact the assets are held somewhere else and you never touch them, you have to register as a person who is making the recommendations and actually executing the trades. So basically you have the A-lister celebrity saying, hey, you guys need to go invest. And then you have the other celebrities who are actually physically creating a way the trades can happen. Both are illegal If you aren't registered as a broker or an advisor, or you admit as a celebrity, you're getting paid. Now, I'm not just picking on cryptocurrency. I think cryptocurrency has some inherent issues right now. We all kind of sort of know what it means to buy a mutual fund. Okay. If you've done any investing at all, it's probably been in mutual funds. And so you kind of know how that game works, and you know the paperwork you're supposed to fill out, and you've got a make sense of it. The whole um, cryptocurrency world is kind of like that, but it's also a little bit twisted to an angle to what you're used to seeing. It doesn't mean that there aren't absolutely legal ways of acquiring, acquiring cryptocurrency, and my goal here is not to tell you not to do it. My goal is to tell you because this is so incredibly new and the way everything instruction it, it the way everything that's structured is so incredibly new that it's really easy not to know what to look for. You don't know whether this is the right way this should look because you've never seen it before. As a result, you have to do more due diligence in this world than you have to if you're just contacting a big mutual fund company and buying a share of mutual funds. Now, you have to do due diligence there as well. I am not suggesting you don't always have to do it. But the less experience you have with something, the more research you have got to do to make sure you understand how everything is structured. And remember, anytime it looks like somebody's telling you that something is wonderful, there is a really good chance they got a little cash in exchange for having said it. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to talk about emergency funds. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that we have emergency fund conversations recently. But J.P. Morgan's Asset Management's 2023 Guide to Retirement was just published, and I will include a copy of that when I upload the show, so that if anybody wants to go back and read the original document, they can. It'll be in the article. There was something in here that was actually much worse (laughs) than I expected it to be, and yet it makes a lot of sense when I hear people talking about their money. So they talk about two different kinds of problems. They talk about spending shocks, and then they talk about income shocks. So basically a spending shock is when you spend more money than you expected to have to spend. For example, I just had to replace a piece of my fence, fortunately not from the tornadoes that just went through Norman, but I had a gate that absolutely didn't work. And so I had to replace the gates and the front of my fence and that was a bill that is not an average bill. That is a spending shock because I spent more money this month on my gates and the front of my fence than I normally spend. And what JP Morgan says is that you hit a spending shock about every three months. So about every three months, something comes up that you weren't expecting to have to buy. Now, they have a larger event called an income shock. And they said that is a larger and longer lasting financial surprise. That is a direct quote out of this article. So it's something goes wrong on a bigger scale than the spending shock. And those happen once a year. And, you know, when I first read this, I was really surprised. And then when I got to thinking about it, it's like, no, if I just think about my own money, I mean, stuff does tend to go wrong about every three or four months, something comes up that I wasn't expecting to have to buy. I don't know that I think I've had an annual income shock, but I know a lot of people who have. And so there's a lot of issues when you don't have as much money as you thought. Now, I will say that J.P. Morgan said to help with this, if you're still working, you need two to three months of bills in an emergency fund. And if you're retired, you need three to six months of bills. I would like to take that and tweak it a little bit, because if you're going to have a shock every three months which they don't put a dollar amount on. And I'm sure that the dollar amount is also a function of your income. You know, the more you tend to spend for things, the bigger the cost is. I would have liked to see it as a percentage of monthly income, but I didn't see that data. If they provided it, I didn't see it. I'm not sure that I think two to three months while you're still working is enough in savings you know that since covid i've said six months because you just don't know and if you lose your job this gives you enough money both for those incidental spending shocks as well as enough cash to try to get on your feet and try to find a new job now for retirement i'm not going to necessarily argue with the six months but i think there's another piece of it that again I didn't see them go into, but I'm going to give you this idea and I'm actually going to start adding it into regular advice that I give. When you're thinking about how much money you spend every month, we write about discretionary, we write about non-discretionary, you know, that the discretionary is the stuff you can fiddle with and the non-discretionary keeps the lights on. I think we should probably build into the annual numbers some smaller spending shocks and maybe a little bit of a financial shock in the number we're using to calculate our retirement savings. Not the emergency fund, that's actually something else. But if you're about to retire, and this state is right, and you're going to have four um, spending shocks a year, that could actually come to quite a bit of money. And I would think that as you're trying to save for retirement before you've retired, it might be nice to up the amount you're trying to save every year to cover that. You know, financial planning when done well is really remarkable because we have the tools to put things together and try to create estimates of how much you need to have saved when you're retired, how that money needs to be invested to be sure that you're going to have as much money every month as you need. Financial planning done badly, which can be a combination of you didn't do any planning at all, or you were working with somebody who is working with a very limited tool set, like you're going to spend 80% of what you spend today, to just not thinking things through, not thinking about, okay, these are my monthly bills, but here are some shocks that might happen along the way. What's really awful is when you think you're okay, and then you get to age 65 and you discover you're not. Now remember, if that's happened to you, your three best ways of dealing with it are try to work a little bit longer, or work part-time in a job that won't take you a lot of money to get off the ground, or to try to cut your spending a little bit, or raise the risk level of your portfolio a little bit. So there's tweaks you can do if you're 65 and things aren't working. But in a perfect world, we catch these things when you're in your 40s and you start saving more so that those spending issues, those spending risks, or shocks are already built into your budget, and I think that was the most important piece of what I read in this. The um, the guide also recommends having like money to cover market downturns in more stable things, while letting money that's not needed until several years later be more aggressive. We've talked about that, but the whole idea of building shocks into your budget, if you will, your retirement spending, your cash flow, I think is a really good piece of advice that I wanted to share with you. And if you're not sure how to begin, talk to your certified financial planner practitioner and they'll have some ideas. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Remember, if you'd like to submit a question to this show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A S K P E G G Y dot com, and you'll find a link where you can submit your question. Additionally, you'll find my blog and I think there's a storm blog in the future right now because of what happened last night and the segment that I just did on the show. So I think I'm going to be doing some writing about planning for storms here, and then I'll post it there. So if you check my website, you can keep up with my blogs. You can also keep up with me on social media under um, Peggy Doviak author um, at Twitter is at Peggy Doviak. Um, TikTok is at AskPeggy, where you can meet my talking prosperity cats, patches, and bingo. So, all of those links are on my website. It's the easiest place to start, gives you a chance to keep up with what I'm doing. Additionally, information about new books coming out, uh, new editions coming out will be there. I'm hoping to have some news there soon. I know it's been a long time and I've said some things in the past when I really thought we were about there and we weren't. But I think maybe we really actually are about there this time. So I want to answer a question today that you may not even know that you have because it came up in a client meeting last week, was a really interesting question that led to kind of an aha moment for this client. And I have a feeling that she's not the only one who has this question. So the easy question is, Peggy, what's an index fund? And an index fund is a fund that does not have an active manager It tracks something like the S&P 500, or it could track the Dow or the NASDAQ. Index funds can also track sectors. So you could track technology specifically, or materials, or healthcare. Now, let's take it to the sector level, because that leads us to the next level, which kind of ties the whole thing together. Sector funds are made up of stocks that are inside of a specific sector. That sounds easy, right? So there is a whole line of sector funds that track the different stocks within the S&P 500. So each stock inside of the S&P 500 is assigned a different category, say like materials or consumer discretionary. And then those stocks are put together to create the sector. If you were to buy all of the sectors, you would be buying the equivalent of the S&P 500. So what an index is, is stocks that have a common characteristic. But when you say, well, I want to own stocks, you actually are owning stock. And if you're wanting to break it down into a more specific bite, rather than choosing like a specific stock in a specific sector, you can buy the entire sector by buying one of these sector funds. And that way, if something goes south in a specific stock, you're not going to be as damaged. It stops you from getting hurt by a situation you can't necessarily control and you can't see coming and still direct your investments more closely. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at Peggydoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.